Hey folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, uh, I know you think all I did was eat all all weekend, but I I want to say I spent uh, I want to say I spent. Uh, well, I know I know you I know you drank all weekend too. So no, I was pro- I was it goes together. Probably fourteen hours in the air, maybe fifteen. It was. Uh, I don't know what. I don't wait, know. wait, wait. Last week, weren't we talking about? I was trying to give you sympathy about having to travel across the whole. No, country. I'm not complaining. You were like, oh, people do it. Yeah, all the they time. do. I'm not complaining. It was just. It was just. I was thinking. Okay, what am I thinking? It was uh, probably probably a little crazy, right? And for the and for a, a two win Lions team to go from Miami to Seattle, <laughs> right? No, that's that's not fair. People care, and uh, we're glad they care. It's why we have two people listening out there, and why a few people read us. So don't stop caring. <laughs> I mean, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Don't hey, don't don't give Anjanette any any uh, any ideas about the travel budget, man. Okay, I mean, no, and we and hey, it was a good deal. It was uh, you know, I, I hardly used the corporate card. So how about that? You know what? Cheap eating. That's that's the yeah, free press yeah, model. It is so stadium good, food, good stadium food, airplane food, you know, a little bit of free hotel food. You know, I mean, uh, I don't know some some club food at the airport that's free, at least as far as the free press free now, press is concerned. So there you go. Haven't you said that Seattle's like a great food town? It is, but I got in, uh, so I flew, so I went down Friday afternoon, flew into Fort Lauderdale. This is not that I want to bore you with this travel, and I don't mean you, Carlos, you know, I'm talking about the listeners. Um, so I flew down to Fort Lauderdale, hung out in a parking lot at the media hotel for a couple hours, and then went to the game, the Michigan-Alabama uh, game, which we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, to the Orange Bowl, and then got up the next morning. And uh, drove to West Palm Beach, a little bit north, about an hour north, not quite. Flew from there to Atlanta, had a four-hour labor, layover, wrote, ate a little something there that didn't cost anything, believe it or not. Is this, this at Mar-a-Lago? Is this yeah, the, the it was at Mar-a-Lago. It was in Atlanta. Okay. It was like a, and, uh, and then got on a plane and, and flew five, more or less five and a half hours to Seattle. Strong headwinds. You know how that goes. And um, so I yeah. got in late, Carlos, and it was raining and cold, and I just went to the room and had a little quick bite, and that was it. And got up and went to the game Sunday, the Lions-Seahawks game, which is where we're going to start, I think. So that was it. And then I uh, had to get up and, and fly back across the country Monday. So no, no now, gallivanting around. Now let me ask you this. What is the number one thing? Whenever you tell people you're a sports writer, people, you know, I'm sorry, sports columnist, but sports writer in general. Sports writer, it's fine. What's the number one thing people ask you? Generally, the number one question, the first question they ask you. Uh, really, it really depends. I don't know if there's a consensus. I mean, you know, people maybe make a comment before they ask you. It's probably similar. Oh, that sounds like a cool job, right? Depends on the person. Yeah. That's what yeah. that's what fellas say. You know, I have found in my experience, people the first question, one of the very first questions people ask us: Do you travel a lot? Do you get to travel a lot? I think people like to live vicariously. I think they like to like, oh, is this exciting? Is it, you know, exotic, whatever it is, you know, and it, and it can be, but uh, yeah, so don't, don't disappoint our, our, our two listeners, no, no, no. Sean, I mean, make it exciting. Yeah. And this is a, what a great life you live. Yeah, you yeah, no, eat, no, it's, I'm, I'm grateful for it. How about that? It is a little discombobulating. Some, there's certain things that, and you kind of get a little wry smile on your face because of Friday or excuse me, Saturday morning in South Florida, I'm walking into the airport in West Palm Beach, and there are palm trees and Christmas music is coming out of the PA system, which is disorienting enough <laughs> if you're not a, you know, if you've spent a lot of time in your in the north. Not for right? me. No, yeah, not for you. That's how you grew up for sure. So there's so so on, and I'm almost sweaty because it was in the 80s and humid. I mean, it wasn't sweating, sweating, but it was a little sticky. How about that? And uh, <laughs> sticky, yeah, it's tacky. Sticky Christmas. My, my, I like my, it. Yeah, my skin was tacky. From the from the the heat and humidity, 
And then all of a sudden, you know, well, it wasn't all of a sudden. It was a long couple of flights and um, and a long layover. But still, within that same day, you know, 12, 13, 14 hours later, I'm outside in the in the high 30s <laughs> and rain in Seattle, and there's and there's snow on the ground. It was unusually cold there for them, but but that, snow, yeah. Huh? So that's a little. I mean, you know, I've been flying a long time. You've been flying a long time, Carlos. It's still a little, not disorienting, but it's just a little surreal sometimes that you can travel that far that quickly, right? Yeah. And be in, yeah. in so. such a different world. I know it's still the United States, but I went from the tip of Florida just about to uh, <laughs> to almost the furthest you can go northwest without, you know, at least in the continental United States. And so, yeah, that's that's crazy, isn't it? It is. And, you know, the the number one thing whenever I travel in the cold, you know, in the winter months, whatever, is if I ever go somewhere warm and I'm flying back, the only thing I ask for is when the planes come in landing in Detroit, that there's no snow on the ground because it's just when it's gray and snowy coming home to that is just it's just brutal. So uh, I can I can I can empathize because going from one extreme to the other, Sean, and then on top of it, you got to work, you know, and it, that was that's one thing I will tell the, the listener out there is that, you know, it does it, it is exciting and interesting work. But I mean, I think it's crazy that you covered that game on a Friday and then had to fly all the way to Seattle and then have to write two columns uh, on Sunday from the Lions game. You know, and it was a, I mean, for us, it's it was a what, one o'clock tip there, but or kickoff there, but still, it's a late day, and then you got to fly back to Detroit. I mean, how many miles and how many? It's it's really and the thing you don't think about a lot too is in sports writing and and when you're working traveling for work is you know it's your time is not your own you got to get on shuttles you got to go to the parking lot you got to get to the airport you got to wait you know you take away the sleep time that you have and it feels like you're just constantly on the move so uh you know we appreciate the work you do sean and uh you know not enough not enough people really understand it other than other sports writers have to kind of go through this sometimes but i was thinking about you a lot oh well i appreciate that it is funny that that when i was telling some folks in the in the state of the orange bowl um, the Hard Rock Stadium, I guess, the Michigan Georgia game what, that night. What I was doing, you know, even even there were several sports writers there, sports writers that had been traveling long, long time, and they're like, "What?" And they wanted to know all the details, right? Because it, <laughs> it is a little bit of an unusual turnaround. It just kind of worked out that way. It was sort of fluky, I guess, right, Carlos? We don't normally go like that, but um, yeah, no. Oh, well, by the way, just just a pro tip, pro tip to our one listener out there is. If you ever want to get a sports writer to talk about something and open up, ask them about their travel and what flight they're on and what what seat they're on and and whether they're what what uh, you know status of Delta Elite Platinum. You can Dave Burkett will give you a thirty minute filibuster dissertation on a flight to Chicago. So people love and I, I think it's a thing about worrying people. It's a little bit of uh, anxiety about travel and people work through it by talking about it and upgrades and what seat and if they're getting a bump or whatever um people like to talk so ask a sports writer about their travel they'll love it you know what was great about what you were just saying is i couldn't hear a word because you're froze but i knew you'd talk long enough <laughs> so that by the time you're unfrozen you'd still be talking so <laughs> I, I, it was three minutes of gold sean well, no, you missed I, it i knew what you were doing was uh, you know busting chops with uh, with sports writers and travel you i love that you act like you're not a sports writer anyway hey so we've wasted most of this segment on uh, on me on nothing 
How about that? Let's, <laughs> We'd let, like to thank Angela Delgado. Or yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Oh, good. Thanks for mentioning. <laughs> thanks for mentioning her twice. Last, She's gotten two mentions already yeah, in the first like last, five minutes. Last week it was not. Uh, it was not soon <laughs> enough. So real quickly, man. Um, before we wrap this section on the Lions up, what about what about the Lions? I mean, it was a blowout game. They've won two games. Uh, you wrote a good column about. Uh, I completely disagree with it, but you wrote a good column about. Um, <laughs> The, the the Lions needing a quarterback and needing to find one now. Maybe they do need one, but I don't know if they need one right now. It's always funny when we write about Jared Goff, Carlos, because he played in a Super Bowl, right? So have at it. He played in he played in Sean McVay's Super Bowl. If you ask Sean McVay, yeah. Um, nah, you know what I think? I I don't know. I mean, tell me what you think. You've seen Goff for the whole year. You know, he's played most of the year. Um, you know, we, and we've talked about this before and before the season and during the season that it was going to be hard to judge him because he really hasn't had the weapons that he should have had. You know, that's that's Brad Holmes's fault. He did not surround him with enough, you know, quality receivers. They screwed up in free agency and Amon Rossi and Brown's the only guy that they got that really made has made a difference for him. TJ Hawkinson's played well, but he's been hurt and he's gone. Um, for the season. So, but I think I've seen enough of Jared Goff, you know, having watched him with the Rams, having watched him with the Rams last couple of seasons, struggling, having watched him this year, you know, he's an adequate quarterback. He's not the future quarterback, solid quarterback, adequate, whatever, you know, serviceable. Uh, You know, I don't think he's the guy. He's not the future quarterback of the Lions. So, you know, that's that's my premise. Uh, I mean, do you think you see him leading the Lions to multiple Super Bowls, obviously, right? <laughs> no, I don't. I just think it's interesting because he, he actually was playing pretty well until he got uh, COVID and then he got and hurt his knee, right? Mm-hmm. And I was just curious what he might look like if they keep building it out the way they, they're trying to from the, the line of scrimmage out and keep finding guys like Amon Ross St. Brown, right, Who's who's was a heck of a fourth-round pick, as it turns out. That guy can play. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I don't know. I I, I, look, you're right. He's he's not the quarterback of the future. The question is, do they need to get one uh, a quarterback this year in the draft? We, we will talk all. I mean, we got a lot of time to talk about that. But but I did. Uh, I like what you wrote, and I, it's it's definitely been it's definitely time to start looking ahead. It has been for a while. But any, anything other uh, anything else stick out from the game that you wanted to, to mention other than the fact that they gave up 51 points? Um, yeah, you know what I. I... I mean, you were there. I was not there. I didn't, I didn't, I, you know, Dave Burkett wrote about this a little bit. He was asking Dan Campbell about it yesterday on the press conference or Monday on the, on the conference call about effort. Um, I, I didn't see that there was poor effort, you know, and, and I, I think there was, there were mistakes. There were, uh, you know, some poor techniques some bad tackling, um, I didn't look at it as as this is a team that that lacks effort. I think, and I think I think it's, I think it, sometimes it's a cop out to say that you know the effort wasn't there or something, because what you don't really want to say or people don't want to talk about is the talent discrepancy. Nobody's going to say, "Hey, have you seen this roster? Look at look at my dudes over here." You know, we're not we're not elite exactly. No one wants to say you're you know. I mean, it's it's easier to for me to say. You know, Sean, your effort in the column was not good versus that was a you just don't have the chops to be a columnist, Sean. You know, what's harder to hear? Well, right? I, do, so, I don't. So, I mean, I don't. Yeah, mind. I don't. Yeah, mind. No, we both are not. No, I don't. We're, we're I, friends. I, I, we can say that. Yeah, we can. I don't mind hearing that at all. It's the truth. <laughs> you know what I mean? You get to so a, what, you get mean, to a certain age. I would say to you real quickly, what I wrote was that, especially defensively, the you're right, getting overpowered, which they were. The angles, the decisions, not filling gaps, the 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 way uh, Seattle ran the ball, especially in the first half. 
I mean, you're right. That was, that was a lot of mental errors or just – but I did feel, to Dave's point, I don't think it's a question of effort. I did feel maybe it snowballed and you lose some of that intensity, at least defensively. It didn't seem like they were quite as jumpy and ready as they had been, mm-hmm. and Campbell sort of alluded to that. But to me, that's not effort necessarily, yeah. you know. But um, you know they came back a little bit and and gave it gave it some it got within what two scores in the second half so that was good but but you're right the, the, to me the roster is the, is the thing and it's hard to quantify effort it didn't quite look like they were flying around in the same way but I wouldn't say that's because they weren't trying I'm with you I think and, and just the last thing I would say about this is just you know Campbell talked about this on Monday and and we were asking him about or he's asked about uh young guys you know and they're they're missing a lot of leaders Alex Anzalone and and Awarie and all, you know almost at every position group they're, they're they've they've lost a lot of leadership so you know Jared Goff is not the quarterback you know he was he was uh sick so, or hurt with his knee so there, there is reason, but you know, Campbell said, "Listen, you know, this is we're almost at the end of the season. So if the young guys haven't learned enough about how to step up at this point, you know, like that's that's on us. You know, we should, it's inexcusable to not, you know. But there's a difference between having a year of experience or two years of experience and having guys who are leaders because having guys who are leaders." Um, they're the ones who who get you going, you know. Who remind guys, you know, we gotta we gotta step up here. We gotta fight through this. We gotta whatever it is. Um, it's not just time in the league. It's that that intangible leadership. Let's get going. Let's steady the ship. Let's not let the snowball. Exactly what happened to them. So I, I don't know if I believe what Campbell's saying that it's just because it's the end of the year. They everybody should be, you know, tougher, better, and wiser. You know, no, it, it's it's a long season. They're playing for nothing. You need guys like you know. I'm sorry, but you need like rah rah type guys to say, hey man, there's more on the line than just this game. Let's play for pride. Let's play for you know our future contract. So um, it's been a long year. You know, I I. I it's it's I just I just and the one thing that's the, the my one point about the Lions is they're going to wrap up the season against Green Bay, you know, at at, uh, at home again, you know, on Sunday at Ford Field. And and what has not happened this year much at all, I don't think, is they haven't stacked blowout loss after blowout loss. They have usually come back the next week and and looked better, maybe haven't won the game or been really close, but they haven't gotten blown out twice. So I think that speaks a lot to the leadership from Campbell and his coaches and even the players. So. I would like to see them not get blown out by Green Bay, and you know, ho- hopefully they can end the season on a right note. Yeah, I would expect Carlos a, a more spirited effort for sure. Uh, not not a win, but uh, a definitely a more. I shouldn't. Say, there's that word again. Effort. I would just effort uh, a, a more a more spirited and, and uh, a little better performance. That's what I would expect. All right, look, let's. Uh, I know you want to talk about uh, the NBA, your favorite sport, but we're not. We're gonna we're gonna stay with professional <laughs> football when we come back. And I, I want to get your thoughts on what happened down in. Uh, well, it's actually in New York, I think, in the Meadowlands when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers played the New York Jets, and Antonio Brown left in the middle of the game, and uh, just sort of the reaction. What's what's happened? What you think? Um, does that sound all right? Uh, I abide, yes. Okay, you abide. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. I'm Alyssa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email? Me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. 
And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, um, let me just, let me just let me just start out here. Let me just ask you. I don't know if you saw this live. You probably saw the highlights. Maybe you read about it on on social media. But what did you make of of what happened in New York in the Tampa Tampa Bay New York Jets game when uh, wide receiver Antonio Brown was asked to go back in by his coach Bruce Arians and he refused. Asked to go back in again and refused again. Started getting heated. A couple of players, I think Mike Evans and another receiver, trying to calm him down. He ends up ripping off his shoulder pads, his undershirts, and then jogs out of the stadium through the end zone in the middle of the game. What 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 did you think of that? Um, you know, this is this is one of those situations where uh, you're just mystified. You just you just have you have way more questions than answers here, and you don't know what's going on. Um, it's not normal. I've never seen anything like this. Bruce Arians said he'd never seen anything like it. Um, so, and I think, you know, I read, I read some of the stories about it afterward. And, and the most important thing I read, the most important quote that I got out of any of this was Tom Brady saying, uh, I think everyone should be very compassionate and empathetic towards some very difficult things that are happening. And that's code speak for we don't know the whole story. There's probably some some I'd assume he's I'm, I'm just making a big assumption, but there's some mental health issues probably at play. This is not at all typical behavior in football in the NFL. Antonio Brown is a star. He's a veteran. Um, he's had some some, you know, questionable behavior before that has not really been answered. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I hope the best for him. I hope that the NFL and his teams and, and, you know, can, can get him the help that he needs if he, if he wants it, if he's seeking it, but it was very disturbing. It was sad to see it. And I think that, you know, in our, it's very, I hope people, I think we know enough probably now about mental health issues and definitely with uh, concussions and all these other things, um, that it's not as simple as just looking like one guy's just being a, you know, bad actor or being impetuous or whatever you want to say. There, there's probably more at play here. I would, I would agree. Um, what did you think? I mean, I, I was starting to see some some takes that come out, some opinions that come out that the NFL has enabled this, right? That the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have, that even Tom Brady. Do you do you agree with any of this? Do you what responsibility should the league take? I mean, it's a fine line, right? Because you want to give people more chances. I mean, it's our culture's based on that, right? Especially the the Christian, the Christian Judeo Christian idea of forgiveness and so on and so forth. I'm not saying everybody ascribes to that, and that's not uh, for everybody. But it but it has sort of formed a, a lot of our culture in that way, in the idea of a second chance, and you know, American second acts. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's that's. Uh, I'm not going to quote Scott Fitzgerald on this, but yeah, that's the that's the thing is. We don't know the whole story, you know, and the, the, obviously the Lions went through this with Titus Young. And, you know, I have, you know, family 
uh, with mental health issues. You know, you know that's that's been a thing that I've had personal, you know, me too connection with. Yeah, and and when the Titus Young thing happened, I I, I think we've talked about this before at some point, but. You know, um, I told everybody in the Lions media room, like, this isn't what you think it is. It's not just Titus being a jerk and being erratic and being whatever. Um, There's more to it. And it's probably mental health. And the problem in sports overall with mental health is that there's a really there's there's two there's there's a lack of understanding. There's a willfulness to not want to know about it. Don't ask, don't tell, um, because that's worse than anything. If you're if you got mental health problems, teams traditionally have not been equipped to handle it they're better at it now but they were not for a long time and three that you know it's the media too a little bit and that the media is largely ignorant about a lot of these issues and they don't they think of mental health i mean when i talked about that when i mentioned it to my colleagues and you know fellow reporters they wanted to know because we're so used to in the media and in sports culture of is it is it A, B, or C? Is it an ACL? Is it a labrum tear? Is it a, you know, whatever, hamstring? And how many weeks is that until they're better? You know, that's all we want to know. We're so conditioned to think that way. Mental health doesn't work that way at all. So if you have no connection to it, you don't understand that. So that's where that's where I feel bad for players. And I feel like it's, I don't know if the NFL, if the NFLPA, what they can do. But I can even, I can tell you this from my experiences, even when, someone has a diagnosis you cannot force them to get help you can't make that happen and it's hard even when you have the strongest support system around somebody it's very difficult so just add on top of that you're a multimillionaire with white hot media intense you know scrutiny on top of you all the time um a very public issue that has happened um it's just the recipe for disaster. So I I don't know um, how much help he's getting or how much help he wants, how much willing he's willing to get help. So um, and we don't know. Maybe it's not even a mental health. Maybe who knows? I mean, he was supposedly maybe upset about playing time and and whether his ankle was bothering him or I, I don't know um, all the details. And part of it is, you know. I like Bruce Arians, but he wouldn't talk about it either. He was like, I'm not talking. He's off the team. And I'm not, well, let's talk about the guys who helped us win. Didn't he you know, come back, back to ta- football? Didn't he come back and talk about it, though? Not during the game. No, I, I, he's I, talked yeah, about it since. Yeah, I think he has a little bit after the game. You're right. He he didn't want to say anything about it. But what what about Tom Brady? I mean, to me, his and you quoted him, his his answer and his empathy. Um, I, I, I was impressed by that. And, and maybe you could say, well, he's covering his he's covering his tracks. Cause he's the one that really lobbied for Antonio Brown to get on the team a year ago, right? Yeah. And then he had obviously there were some allegations out there that that were that kind of went away. I that not saying they're true or not. Obviously we don't know. That's why we call them allegations with domestic abuse. Um then he faked a vaccine card. He got suspended for that right, for three games, three weeks, something like that. Um I mean there 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 are issues out there. You could say that's all related and maybe it is. But what we saw, you're right, it was unprecedented what we saw. I mean, we've never seen that publicly. I was Thinking about this earlier, Carl, it's just this idea of uh, if, if that was some kind of a breakdown. I mean, usually that happens behind the scenes in some way. That's what was so striking about this. It was out there, not just in an NFL stadium, but you know, in front of cameras that then broadcasted everywhere, all over the right. place. And, well, and it to happened- see that, right? And, and to a lesser degree, that happened with Titus Young when he was lining up in the wrong formation. And you had Sean Jefferson, the receivers coach, 
arguing with, I think it was Scott Linehan, the offensive coordinator. And they were, you know, we had no idea. It was like, there was chaos going on during a game and nobody understood what was going on. And the coach at the time, Jim Schwartz, was very cryptic about it and not really getting into what was going on exactly, but just saying, you know, yeah, well, we thought the coaches were fighting. And he was like, no, the coaches were actually kind of saying the same thing. You know, they were exasperated. It looked like they were arguing with each other. So, uh, and that's the problem is we don't know. Like most of the time this happens behind closed doors, but even when it happens in front of everybody, we have no idea. Like what's led to this? Is it my, you know, at first it was a question I think was Mike, was he arguing with Mike Evans? I was like, no, Mike Evans was trying to calm him down. And then, you know, was he fighting with Bruce Aaron? You know, like it's just so much chaos that's going on and when it is unprecedented i mean the security guards thought he was a guy who jumped the who jumped the I fence know. And I mean, the, you know he, he snapped and took his he stripped down uh not all the way obviously he kept his pants on and walked out in the middle of an nfl game and, and left yeah. millions and millions of dollars on the table right uh never mind that i mean i know right he's fine now i don't want to make this about money but just the idea that you would leave under those circumstances, suggest the yeah a, a lack of stability in certain ways, and and he needs some help, and I hope he gets the help he needs, and I and I understand uh, why Tom Brady was talking the way he was after the game about trying to be understanding and, and and offering up some empathy for people that are suffering, and 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 not to change the subject here completely, Carlos, but I it was interesting to me to listen to Tom because Brady's had this reputation right the the New England rep kind of not aloof but just sort of above in a way and since he's gotten to tampa he it feels like he's maybe part of it's just social media you could argue part of it's calculated but it feels like he's just been in the muck a lot more in a really human and a human and interesting way you juxtapose that and his response with aaron Rodgers, who was interviewed recently on a, I don't know, it was a podcast or the, there was a camera involved and he had a copy of ann ryan ann ran's uh atlas shrugged in the in the bookshelf <laughs> <laughs> right and then some of his uh issues and talks about vaccines and i'm just thinking well ann ran is that's a far it's as far as from empathy as you get right I mean, this whole <laughs> idea of great great people rise up and, and try to lift other people up and you can't hold them back and you know go out and make your own way and everybody's on their own and look i don't want to get political here but i was just really struck by too late the, the two most uh sort of iconic figures in in the NFL in in terms of quarterbacks, right? I mean, maybe Patrick Mahomes, but Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. And one's going on this tour of, wow, he's just getting more human by the week. And the other one's going on this, wow, he's getting (laughs) sort of quirkier and and revealing himself by the week. It's really interesting. Well, it tells us that we don't know much about these people and their, their true selves. You know, I mean, we used to, for as much as we've, you know, for years, we've talked to, you know, Brett Favre on the conference calls with the Lions and, uh, you know, all the kind of strange behavior that he's kind of gone through toward the end of his playing career and after his playing career and some of the interesting pictures you might text people. Um, You know, that's, you don't see that happening. You don't see it coming, you know. Um, So, yeah, we don't really know people. and, And, you know, Sean, I mean, it's always to, as a sports writer, one of the things that you're privy to is some private conversations with players and coaches. And I, when I when I first started hearing some of these crazy stories, I at first I thought this isn't true. This, these these tales are too wild. They're trying to sort of build this kind of crazy mythology around a player or a team. And then you hear more and more of them, and it's like maybe they're not that crazy. It's it's they're they're just. Uh, you know, people 
especially athletes, you know, pro athletes with with means and opportunity, and you know, they uh, they can engage in some very uh, you know outlandish behavior sometimes, and that's not even. No, we're not even talking about that, but just not really understanding who people are sometimes in their private lives and their private selves. Maybe Aaron Rodgers getting more comfortable with himself and doesn't care. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you who I am, and that's you know, that's love good. or lump it. Yeah, no, yeah. that's good. That, that that is good. It just, it just struck me that again. I know we're moving away from Antonio Brown, but just it just struck me with two of the most famous athletes in the country have. Um, have been kind of revealing bits and parts of bits and pieces of themselves in a, in a different, interesting way within the last year, year and a half. And, uh, you know, I think I'm with you. I think, you you know, the more comfortable folks are to, to show that the better, but, uh, in any case, look, let's, um, take one more break here, Carlos, and get back and finish up with what? Some Michigan talk, some Michigan, uh, Georgia talk, twist your arm. Yes. Okay. All right. Let's do that. We'll be right back. My name is Kerry Jr. The second, I'm a podcast producer and reporter with the Detroit Free Press, and now the host of Freep's new weekly podcast, On the Line. Our job is to understand the issues and the people that the issues affect in our state and region and tell the news. I want Detroiters, I want Michiganders, I want Metro Detroiters to hear themselves and maybe get a sense of peace in this podcast. Maybe not in the topics we're covering, but in the sense that we're the Detroit Free Press. And you can come here to know what's happening. And trust that we're going to tell the truth, give you the facts, and do it authentically. We're going to give you the voices that are in those areas, whether it be in Owasso, whether it be in Petoskey, whether it be in Birmingham, Warren, Gross Point, Southwest Detroit. You know, we're going to give you what it sounds like to be there. So every Friday in your feed, wherever you get your podcast, when you press play, we want this podcast to sound like home. We want it to sound like Michigan. We want it to sound like Detroit. I think that's all I got. So let the journey begin. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, uh, since you wanted to talk about Michigan and Georgia and the, uh, well, we uh, have the blue wall. We have the blue wall. We do so have, we the have the blue wall. The pounding it. and the, the game that happened. I don't know. Was it two, two, three months ago? God, it feels like it. It's amazing how I know there's one more game out there. Alabama Georgia going to play in the national title game, but it's just college football. It's always seemed to me to end so abruptly. And maybe that's true with all sports, you know, the the final game and you're done and you move on. But it just there's something about the way college football ends. But what did you what did you see uh, from your your vantage point? Not that we need to break the game down again this late. We could talk about what Michigan needs to move to do moving forward. That's the main thing to be able to compete with Georgia and Alabama and those teams. But but real quickly, what did you see Friday night? Yeah, I saw. I mean, we had our we had our you know fantastic beat writer Michael Cohen on last week, and all of his fears came true. Uh, yeah, they were outclassed by an SEC team, and and it looked like it. Michigan was just never in that game. Um, it just it just they looked uh, they had a great game plan, uh, throwing short passes, keeping um, uh, Hutchinson and Jabo you know um, on their heels, and not being able to get to the quarterback. So um, it was unfortunate for Michigan. It tells you maybe you know how how i don't know if it's a measuring stick of how far they have to go but they just weren't on that level um and that was it was it was a sad way to end the the season uh we shouldn't forget what an incredible season it was for michigan and michigan state too obviously um playing in the peach bowl and winning but that was uh it was tough i mean it was disheartening um I know for you, you were happy that you were able to write your column early, but you were sad that they weren't winning and you didn't go to the national championship to cover that game, right? 
Well, I don't know about happy and sad. I mean, I, I like I root for the good the, the story, the good story, and the, and it would have been a great story if they'd won and gotten a chance to play Alabama. But they were obviously nowhere near good enough um, in 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 the trenches, right? You know, it's funny because somebody asked, "What was the difference between this game and the the, the thirty eight nothing Michigan or Alabama over Michigan State college football playoff game in what two thousand fifteen? I think that game was ten nothing at the half. That it, Michigan State didn't quite have the skill players that year. And it caught up to them, and their quarterback was a little bit hurt. But they competed up front on both sides. They had a lot of NFL talent. Those Spartan, that Spartan team did. And I know this Michigan team's got uh, – you just mentioned Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo. And those guys are potentially great NFL players, right? They're going to be high round, uh, high picks for sure, Hutchinson. But where they really didn't have – the where they really struggled to compete was in you know from the center out, right, and up the middle. It just got overwhelmed on on both sides. That offensive line was just demolished for the most part. They struggled to block. They struggled to open up holes and protect the quarterback, Cade McNamara. And and, and that's that's where the they got bullied, man. And that's where the the difference was. Um, and that's where they got to have to take that final step because I think they've got. I mean, JJ McCarthy's really promising in the quarterback. Cade McNamara is, is a good solid quarterback, but they've got some good skill players. They've always had good skill players. It's it's. They've got some good playmakers on defense, but they need some of that strength, and uh, and that's really going to be the final step or two Harbaugh's going to have to take to me. And that's recruiting, isn't it? I mean, just finding it it, really it good athletic big guys to do that. Yep, yep. On on both sides, it, it it really is, and that's that's usually the difference. I mean, we you know we get wrapped up and you think about Clemson and LSU and Alabama and even Ohio State when they're really good. And all these skill guys and quarterbacks, and that's all necessary. And you got to be able to score. But most of those teams have high level talent in the trenches, right? They stockpile it, especially Alabama. I mean, one year Clemson had like three or four first rounders on their defensive line. You know, it's got, and, and Georgia has a similar front seven this year. They got a defense with 10, 11 guys that are going to get a crack at the NFL. So, you know, it was, it was a great season. Uh, beating Ohio State, I think. People around here are going to forget anytime soon. It was memorable in the snow, the students rushing the field. You know, it's one of the best, most uh, liberating wins that program's had in years, right, Carlos? So that's not going to, that's not diminished at all. But now they got an up close look at uh, at what that that la- those last few rungs you know look like, right? How the distance. It's always it's always that final step or two. Yeah, and that's 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 hopefully what's what's encouraging, you know. And then it it's like in in a way. You know, um, I hate that it worked out the way that, you know, probably the college football playoff committee, you know, wanted it to all along so you can have a SEC championship really to decide the national title. But but it was in a way good that they played an SEC team and lost handily because it's the everybody knows that I think you wrote it as whatever SEC team rises up that year. You know, it's they take turns, I guess, down there. But, um, you know, that's who they have to beat. That's the. That's the 800-pound gorilla, you know, in college football that you have to be willing or ready to compete with those. You're going to find them in the playoffs. You're going to have to go over. You're going to have to beat Alabama or Georgia or LSU, whoever it might be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, good. Maybe maybe, maybe this uh, encourages Harbaugh and his recruiting staff and his coaches to redouble their efforts. And uh, what do they, they like to say? They give what? Now, it's not even 110%. It's 1,000% now, right? Maybe 2,000% next year, and that'll... 
that'll make yeah, the difference. Yeah, and the, and the, and the linebacker, you know, and the speed too, right? I mean, it, it's all cliche, SEC speed versus Big Ten speed. It's never been on the outside, the skill guys. It's it's always been the defensive tackles and the linebackers, you know? I mean, Georgia had linebackers running like uh, running faster than Hassan Haskins, <laughs> you know, or chasing down Blake Corum, the running backs for Michigan. I mean, it's just that that's what it is. Michigan had a, had has had talent like that in the past. They've had a couple of years where they've had those type of guys. Ohio State has obviously had that, but uh, but that but that's really what it is. And then that speed in combination with power. Look, man, when D'Antonio, when Mark D'Antonio was just starting to roll, he got he got to uh, God was it the Citrus Bowl, the Outback Bowl? I can't remember. It was a bowl game in Florida, and they played Alabama. I was at that game too, and they just got manhandled, and they could not compete in, up front. And three years later, whenever it was, they're um, in the winning Rose Bowls and Cotton Bowls and in the college football playoff, and they played Alabama again. I'll never forget Nick Saban, even though they won 38 nothing, said after that game, Look, they competed with us this time. There was a difference. They were able to stay with us physically up front, and they were. That was more of a skill, defensive back kind of issue in that game. Um, so I don't think there's any reason to believe that Jim Harbaugh can't do the same in Michigan. He, he knows what, right? He, he knows, you know, and, he, and it oh, yeah. seems far away. And maybe it is in some ways, but maybe it's not. I mean, right? They've got some talent. But but recruiting in the 10, 12, 9, 8 range, um, making that jump up into the 3, 4, 5 range, that's that's the trick. That's the that's the thing that really – one of the major – one of the things I really don't like about college football is just, you know, whoever gets the first pick on the schoolyard wins. Um, you know, that's the – Agreed. That, that's the problem, you know, and then and, and I mean, at this point, I don't know, is that is that narrative? Is that is that trend ever going to change where the SEC just doesn't have this overwhelming uh, advantage in recruiting? I mean, is that ever going to change? I mean, if people decide they want to move back to the Midwest and droves. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what a, right. That could change it. Tropical paradise that Columbus and, well, you know, whatever, East Lansing and Ann Arbor. Yeah, are. it gets too, it gets too hot down there, and all of a sudden Lake, <laughs> Lake Michigan turns into the, the uh, Southern Pacific. You know what I mean? We could uh, the, the, have some de- de- demog- demographic shifts like that. and yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's You're right. It's college football. Basketball is sort of similar in a way. It's not as much about where people are, but um, – it's more about sort of the, the call of a coach in college basketball, but that's true in football too. But yeah, man, I'm with you. It's just not, I, I think people have lost some interest. I don't think it's as fun for people to see the same handful of teams because they have access to players. You know, you get the right coach and it makes it, it, it's such a difference. It's so different in the NFL where teams are separated by not a whole lot and it's designed for the, the, the folks at the bottom to rise up fairly quickly, uh, except for the Lions maybe. Well, but it's designed for them to do it, but it doesn't happen. No, I know. So I'm with I'm with you, man. I I uh, I don't know what can change. I mean, I don't know how you change it, but um, I really don't. I mean, unless you start, you take the United States and pick it up like a, a board game and start tilting it one way or the other to try to move the pieces around. Short of that, I, you know, yeah, rely on coaches. So, any any last thoughts on uh, on the game on, um, on Michigan? Yeah, I just hope I just hope that, like I said, that it that they they come back with renewed effort um, for next year, you know. And I think I think you know Michael Cohen mentioned that about how you know uh, Harbaugh got some some players to flip uh, in the recruiting process. Yep. yep. 
And you know what? And I think that I think that Michigan remains. You know, they're the Notre. They're like a Notre Dame. They're one of these historic tradition. You know, uh, rich programs that still means something. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing for Michigan State either, because you need to make the Midwest relevant and the Big Ten relevant. You know, and Ohio State has done their part. Michigan's hopefully can do their part. Um, you know, and that's you know the Wisconsin's out there. And maybe it will get people reason to, hey, I don't want to just be, you know, a robot like everybody else and go and go to an SEC program. There, there's advantages. Obviously, the SEC has built in that those are college towns or that are, there's no NFL programs most in a lot of those towns. So they are the big, big, you know, dog well, it's where and, the talent is. That's the main thing, Carl. The, Sorry. the talent is there, but it also helps. I think it's impressive. I mean, you, you know, the the boosterism down there is insane compared yeah. to what you have in the no, Midwest. For sure. It's 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 different, and uh, we'll see how that all we'll see how that all shakes out. But uh, I mean, right now Texas A and M, for example, I think is going to in line to have the best class in the country. They've been in the top couple since Jimbo Fisher got there, who won a title at Florida State as a head coach. It's you know he's been starting to recruit at that level again. So that may well be the next SEC team. It's crazy that A and M's in the SEC, but that may well be the next pro that's going to rise up. Right? You know, can yeah. Wisconsin or Iowa ever do that? Probably not. They just yep. don't have the same, you know, the same access. But uh, hey, real quickly before we go, um, and I can go first if you want. But uh, how about how about you know because our our smart young producer Ted Davis, <laughs> so now he had his name mentioned uh, to borrow an old an old Don Rickles line. I'm sure he's happy about that. Um, uh, thrilled even. But uh, he, he suggested we, we say, hey, what's what's one of the favorite things from uh, 2021, and not just uh, this past week. So. Do you want you want to throw something out there? Do you want me to? What you, what you I'd, think? I'd like you. Uh, uh, when we're done with our our show, I'm going to have to tell you a joke about editors and uh, how their their great ideas pan out. But uh, but I, I would like you to go first, Sean. All right, I'm going to keep this. Uh, mine is really simple and really really uh, really quick. Um, and I know it's maybe a little bit uh, with what we're going through now, surging again, uh, Omicron. You know. Th- the, the politics, people being sort of fed up and tired and weary and not knowing. And I, look, COVID's, COVID's here, but there was a moment, you know, in the fall, in the early in the fall, maybe even in the summer a little bit started, but especially in the fall when, when we kind of opened up and um, there were folks in the stands, there were folks going to concerts, restaurants were full, and just feeling what that felt like, Carlos, seeing people together, uh, elated sharing out in public out in the air that was um you know that was really something because we had been without that for a long time and again i know right now you know maybe we might be headed in a different direction for a bit but the other thing i would say about that is that we know we can get back there you know we can you know maybe back and forth and up and down for a while but but it's it's important that we keep trying obviously because that was, uh, you know, September, October, somewhere in there. We we just had this. It it felt somewhat normal again, and um, to see human beings out interacting, uh, somewhat liberated. Um, that was probably my my favorite thing. That's a good one. Um, I I would say that mine is somewhat related to that. Um, a little bit more selfish probably, but but a little related to that was I I got to go on a golfing trip. Um, and this was in August and for my birthday and I went with a bunch of, uh, you know, friends and acquaintances and, um, probably like a, was it 12 of us total in West Virginia. And we played some, 
some nice golf courses there. Um, and I hadn't done that in a really long time, um, partly for COVID, partly for other reasons, just uh, schedules and stuff. Um, but it was nice. It was nice to to have that fellowship again. Um, I missed it. And not knowing that we were going to come into the Omicron thing and the uncertainty of what's going on with you know, the latest variant and what's going to happen as we, you know, progress through this. And if there's going to be more stuff coming down the pike, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I did appreciate it for what it was. And I'm trying to, in retrospect, appreciate it even more because I don't know when that's going to happen again or if. Um, so it was it was a really nice uh, memory to have. And, um, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully there's more around the bend. Well, I hope so. Hope so. I know we're you know, here we are in January, and we just don't know. But uh, fingers crossed, we got there once. Uh, I'm assuming we can, we can get back there and get back there um, and stay there a little bit longer the next time, and and then the next time after that. And um, in any case, listen, uh, it's good to be with you in this new year. It's our first podcast of the new year, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just, I'm just checking. My memory's a little, you know, all that <laughs> flying around all over the place. Maybe I lost a little bit of oxygen. Uh, who knows? You could say that's just uh, you know, just in general. But I, uh, I had fun, man. It was always a pl- it's a pleasure. As, as as did I, Sean. It's always a pleasure, and I just hope you're not foggy because of COVID. So maybe you should take a quick uh, uh, rapid test or something. Yeah, I don't, no, no. I don't want to worry uh, about you. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm a, I'm all right. A little loopy, just uh, lack of sleep. But uh, but I'll get some. We'll catch up, and we'll be all right. Listen, uh, my man, we want to thank Tad. I know that means we've mentioned him now twice. I don't want that <laughs> ego to get too big there. But, uh, yeah, let's thank Tad Davis, our producer, for making this possible. Anjanette Delgado. Um, God, I hope you're happy, Anjanette. Would you get five, six mentions today? <laughs> Something like that. There should be uh, a Delgado meter, and whoever, yeah. like, there's a, a base level. You have to mention two or three times. I, I, th- I think that would be great. Uh, yeah, again, Anjanette Delgado. Okay, that's seven. We want to thank her, uh, one of our <laughs> executive producers, along with Kirkland Crawford, uh, our sports editor. Those two uh, obviously make this possible. And then, of course, Peter Batia. The man at the top um, doesn't have to be a man, but he is a man, so we're going to say that. How about just to say he's the executive <laughs> editor? Look, uh, if you uh, like this podcast, let us know. You can find us wherever you want uh, or wherever you want you to find your favorite podcast, Spotify, Apple. But uh, when you get there, rate rate us, subscribe. You know, Again, let us know what you're thinking. Tell us how great or not so great we are, and we'll try to fix it. Or maybe uh, Carl's will try to fix it. I don't know if I can fix myself. But uh, again, thank you for spending some time with us this week. We will uh, be back with you next week.